All right, welcome to the podcast, The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and uh, we're excited to have you with us on this podcast where we try and take the Scriptures and make them more real. We share stories uh, about the Scriptures and about ourselves and about times when the Scriptures really came to life for us, and that made them more applicable to us. Uh, I'm I'm the host, Kerry Mulstein, and uh, today... It probably won't be the first episode that appears, but uh, it is actually the first episode I'm recording, and I'm grateful to have someone who's willing to help me figure out what I'm doing. Uh, I'm joined by my guest, uh, Stefan Tager, who uh, has just been a, a friend for, I think, about eight years now, since we first met on a, a, a Pioneer Workshop kind of a thing, and then we've taught together for quite a while. And so I'm, I'm just grateful to have you with us, uh, Stefan. Would you tell us, just introduce yourself for us? Yes, I'm grateful to be here, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name's Stefan Tager. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I live here in Utah. And I am a seminary teacher, seminary and institute teacher. Currently, my assignment is at Institute, the Orem Institute. And I've also uh, taught adjunct at BYU for a few years now. And uh, my research is in homiletics, which is the study of preaching. And uh, more specifically, I study the role of storytelling and narrative in, in teaching and preaching. And uh, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks. And I, I'm sorry, I, I know your name is Stefan. I, I uh, have a friend who goes by Stefan in, in Europe, and I was saying it wrong. I apologize. No, but anyway, Stefan. Stefan sounds much <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with that. So. <laughs> well, Stefan, uh, you've got a text you'd like to walk us through. Why don't you just start us out? Sure, absolutely. So my, my text comes from Genesis chapter 12, it's verses 1 through 3, and uh, to sort of help you understand how this, this scripture came alive to me, I think it's important to understand that I had a question for years and years that I struggled with. It, it, it sort of was a, a foggy, vague question in the back of my mind, and the question simply was this, I don't understand the unique role that the family of Abraham plays in the plan of salvation. Now, I know that seems so basic, especially someone who teaches religion, but it, it really seemed like I could give the standard plan of salvation, draw circles on the chalkboard of pre-mortality, earth, spirit world, and celestial, terrestrial, celestial kingdom, and not include the family of Abraham. It seemed like you could just have creation, fall, and atonement, and not have to have this whole story. And I remember asking people I really trusted and people who I thought, uh, knew the scriptures really well, and none of the answers, when I really pressed hard on it, uh, were really satisfying. Um, I can't remember exactly what people said, but I imagine that some people might say, well, there's, you know, Christianity comes out of Israel, and so that's why it's important to know the, the history of Israel or and Abraham, or people might say something, you know, our patriarchal blessings tell us which tribe we belong to, and but none of, none of the answers I ever got, whatever they were, were very satisfying. Uh, and then I came across this text and some scholarship on it. And it really, really changed the way I saw the role of Abraham's family in the plan of salvation. So it says this in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So what's happening here is, if you just go back a few chapters, God has created the world, uh, Adam and Eve, they've partaken of the fruit, they've fallen. We've had the incident with Cain and Abel, 
We've had the flood. We've had the Tower of Babel incident. And a lot of scholars point out how uh, humanity is not off to a great start. Things are not, things are not going well in, in a lot of ways. And then sort of out of the blue, God calls this man named Abram. And now as Latter-day Saints, we have restoration scripture that adds much more to this story that, that helps us uh, like really flesh out Abraham's history and past and what's going on there. And it's, I, I kind of had to laugh when I thought, I, it, when you emailed me, Carrie, and said, which text would you like to do? And I, and I emailed you back Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then after I sent that to you, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a conversation with Carrie about Abraham. I, I better know my stuff. But regardless, Abraham is called and the Lord says, get thee out of thy country and I'm going to give you some land. That, that's a really interesting blessing. It says in verse 2, and I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee. Now, the word blessing in, in this context it really applies to all areas of life, including the land. In fact, the ancients would have really uh, tied up their identity, who they are, the way that God treats them with actually what is being produced in the land. That's, a, that's really a part of how they, they're really connected to it in profound ways. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, the scholarship has, there's a lot of debate about how to interpret this and how to make sense of this. But at least some scholars, they point out something that really resonates, I think, with Latter-day Saints. And it's this. It's that the calling of Abraham, the, the Abrahamic covenant, seems in a lot of ways to be a direct response to the fall. So, for example, Adam is cast out of the garden and Abraham is promised land. Adam is going to have to do hard work. The sweat of his brow will be cursed. You know, as he does his work, the land will be cursed. And as he's working, and Abraham, what does he promise? That he will be blessed, right? Uh, he, Abraham's also promised that he'll have a great nation, great posterity. Eve is cursed that she will have pain in childbirth. There's the Tower of Babel incident where these people try to give themselves a name, and Abraham is promised that he will, he'll be, uh, he will, that the Lord will make his name great. And so it's, it's, it hit me really profoundly, really deeply, as I studied this and other, other uh, things on the Abrahamic covenant, that God chooses the family of Abraham to go out and bless the world, to go and fix some of the problems that the, the fall causes. Now, ultimately, Abraham's family ends up in bondage. The Israel ends up in bondage. The prophets come and warn the people they need to repent, they need to worship Jehovah, and they end up in bondage. And so someone would need to come and suffer for the sins of Israel and for all of mankind. And Paul is really clear in Galatians chapter 3 that now when we have faith in Jesus Christ, those people are the family of Abraham. And so the Abrahamic covenant, Abrahamic blessings are now uh, through Jesus Christ uh, available to all people who have faith in him, faith in Christ, and then they in turn go out and try to bless the world. And so th uh, that th really helped me understand that Abraham's story is my story as a Latter-day Saint, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that God has called me to go out and to bless the world, to serve the world, to help all mankind receive the blessings of the covenant. Uh, th thanks, Stefan. That's... Uh... You couldn't choose a topic that would be more exciting to me, so this is uh, fun stuff. So I've got a couple questions sure, for you, sure. if it's all right. So 
uh, of course, as uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we, uh, we have a unique perspective on the Abrahamic covenant in that we don't think that that covenant began with Abraham, right? right? So, uh, I don't know, what, what insights do you have for, uh, on that? Uh, how does that affect the way you view this story and this insight you've talked about in the, the response to the fall? Right. Yeah, in, in, in one sense, uh, we believe the Abrahamic covenant precedes, precedes Abraham. Uh, we see uh, something similar with Enoch and Melchizedek and really with Adam. Um, if I if I tell Latter-day Saints that God gave a covenant in response to the fall, that really resonates with how we see the plan of salvation. And that covenant is the way that God spreads the blessings of, of uh, the gospel to all people. Right. Great. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I think one of the things I've found is a <coughs> excuse me, is I've talked about the covenant with people around the world is that they struggle recognizing that the Abrahamic covenant and the new and everlasting covenant are the same thing, right? That that the new and everlasting covenant, we think of that as marriage. Well, that, that's part of the new and everlasting covenant, but really it's it's God's comprehensive covenant to save us, and it, as it's reestablished each time, uh, it's, you know, it's tailored to the people that he's giving it to, so it looks just, you know, slightly differently for Moses than it does for us and so on, but the same basic covenant. And so that idea that, uh, and Abraham's very explicit, right, in Abraham chapter 1, uh, that the covenant he's getting is, he's seeking after the covenant that Adam had, and that's the covenant he's giving. And so uh, I, I love your, uh, your recognition that this is, this is how God fixes the fall, right? The, the fall's a real thing, and, uh, and while it was necessary, there are real problems, and this is the response. God says, we can, we can fix this. Now, it, it's possible the blessings that, you, you've just talked about, the ultimate form of those blessings are only possible because of Christ. So, of course, Christ is a, a real part of the solution. But this this covenant, this promise is essential to that solution. So, that's fantastic. Uh, so, then I'd love to ask, uh, you've had this insight then, uh, and you talked about how you, you part of your responsibility is to share the gospel and so on, but what are some other ways that, that recognizing this uh, have influenced you either in your life or in the way you read your scriptures or anything? What, what are just some of the effects of, uh, of this part of the story becoming real to you? How has that affected you? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I, I love that. I, um, it's a really famous New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, and one of the things that he has emphasized is that uh, when you read the New Testament carefully, and and uh, I, this this connects to Abraham, he he says Christians were not trying to live a faithful life so they could die and then get to heaven. They were really trying to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth, and that goes all the way back to the Old Testament story. In fact, scholars point out how there are four major uh, covenants established in the Old Testament. First with first with Noah. Abraham, then with Moses in Exodus 19, and the Davidic covenant we see really illustrated very well in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But, but regardless, one of the ways that this has become real is that when God promises Abraham land, that's literal. That's literal. We will, uh, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And when you read the Doctrine and Covenants, Joseph is uh, trying to reestablish the Abrahamic covenant. He is reestablishing the Abrahamic covenant and is trying to establish Zion so that the saints can receive their inherited blessings. And so it's, it's real that we will have eternal family, eternal uh, uh, posterity. 
And so the Abrahamic covenant is the way that a godlike life is manifested in, in the, the life of a believer. That's what it looks like. And so those are the blessings. Those blessings are ultimately only realized in the temple. We have to go to the temple to receive the full blessings of Abraham. And uh, it just ties in the whole story. I mean, the restora- Restoration Scripture uh, is very centered on Abraham and Israel. And so understanding that God uses the family of Abraham to bless the world and to spread his covenant blessings really just made the whole covenant narrative come alive to me. Thanks. As, as I'm hearing you talk and thinking of this, talking specifically with you, with your, uh, your specialty, uh, I'm starting to realize some different things. So uh, as you said, you know, our, our Christian, other Christians, we're, we're Christians obviously, but other Christian and Jewish friends, uh, they see these covenants as separated out and we see them as kind of different phases of the same covenant, right, that right. the covenant's always been around. Um, but it's interesting that the the covenant that grabs their attention and our attention is when it's reestablished with Abraham. Now, I, I think that's for a number of reasons, at least part of which is that Abraham's told that anyone from that point forward who becomes part of the covenant becomes part of his seed, right? And it will be his family that's tasked with spreading that covenant. But talking with you, a, another thing has just occurred to me, and uh, so it's my crazy thought I'd like your comment on. You can tell everyone that I'm crazy and, and to discard this thought or whatever you'd like. But um, but it seems to me, and, and this is one of the themes that I think will come out in this podcast again and again and again. There There are there are doctrinal points in the scriptures that uh, are, well, doctrinal points are always important, but that are very powerful and make the scriptures very real. But, but most often, the scriptures become real to us through story, because as humans, we're creatures of story. story. In fact, scientists have shown that when you hear a story, your brain lights up in a bigger or different way than, than with anything else. We respond to stories because we live our lives as a story, right? And when we hear stories, we relate to it. And, and I think that's part of why uh, there's so much narrative in the scriptures and it's so powerful. And, and so even something like the Doctrine and Covenants that has less narrative, as we teach it, we insert a lot of church history in there because it makes sense to us in the context of the story, right? Well, the covenant, as it's given to Abraham, has a pretty important story behind it, right? Abraham's life is is fairly compelling, especially, as you mentioned, the way we know it as, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We know more about his background and so on. I mean, it's, it's a long and compelling story, and the covenant is intertwined with it, and it, it occurs to me that, that perhaps um, part of the reason that it's so associated with Abraham, besides the doctrinal reasons I already talked about, is because that story resonates with us, and then there are homiletics that automatically can flow from that narrative. So uh, as someone who specializes in that, I'd just love to know your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right when you describe us as storytelling cre- uh, creatures. I mean, th- there have been studies that have been done that say that humans who receive uh, brain damage on some level can still function fairly well until you mess with the parts of the brain that take out our capacity to understand story, the temporal aspects, seeing things as beginning and ending, continuing. And when you take that out, when people receive brain damage in that way, then it becomes really difficult for them to make sense of the world. And a lot of social commentators have have pointed out that we we live in a culture that has sort of lost uh, meta-narratives, narratives that really become foundational for how we see the world. And we're, a lot of us are sort of floating, picking the stories uh, 
And and to be honest, I don't have faith in the stories that modern culture provide us, whether they're political stories or uh, psychological stories or whether just stories of wealth and money. All of those things are fine on some level, but the 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 stories that can the only stories that can provide the foundation for a rich and meaningful life are the stories in the gospel, and and to take up the story of Abraham as central to one's identity uh, fills life with meaning and purpose. All of a sudden, we understand that God has chosen us not to be better than other people, but to be a blessing to the earth. All of a sudden, we understand the the role of family, that we exist as people of family, that our our role is actually we're going to inherit the earth, to take care of it, to be a blessing to the earth and to the people who live on the earth. It just, uh, it really gives us a point of reference to, to really make sense of the world when we take up gospel stories, you know. I, I appreciate that, and I'll, I mean, something you said really resonated with me, that I, like, part of my identity is as a child of Abraham. That hasn't always been the case for me, but as I've studied the scriptures and the covenant, then I, I, that's a big part of how I think of myself. I'm a descendant of Abraham, and that has opened up the scriptures to me in a whole new way because the scriptures are about Abraham's descendants, and so suddenly I self-identify with the scriptures. I, I, I identify with reading about Jacob and Joseph as much as I do with reading about my grandma and my grandpa, because they are my grandparents and my, my uh, grandmothers and grand, grandmother, uh, grandfathers. So uh, I, I think that there is something really powerful in that. Yeah, there's a, there's a philosopher, uh, he's a Heideggerian uh, philosopher. Martin Heidegger is a, a philosopher from the 20th century, uh, his name's Ian Thompson, and he, he has this quote where he says, he essentially says, if we, if we choose what our life uh, means for ourselves, then we sort of deep down inside know that it's meaningless because we chose it for ourselves. The, the reason why I'm pointing that out in the context of Abraham is central to the idea of the Abrahamic story is that we're called to it. We feel God pulling us towards this meta-narrative. And so it's something bigger outside of ourselves. So the stories that we choose to take up, if we sort of just arbitrarily uh, take them up, we know deep down inside that we've just arbitrarily taken them up. And so the only way to have an ultimate sense of meaning and purpose is for something outside of us to, to call us to something bigger. And uh, I believe it's, it's Elder Bednar who gives the talk in the early 2000s when he answers the question, how do I become a missionary? And he says, the, uh, how do I prepare for my mission? And he says, the answer is to become a missionary now. And then he spends quite a bit of time in the talk saying, look, we are the seed of Abraham and God has called us to be a blessing uh, to the world. And so there's a deep sense of, of meaning that comes from knowing that uh, God has uh, called us. We can choose to reject that calling, but we have been invited to the fa- family of Abraham through the restored gospel. Fantastic. And I, I love that idea. And the, uh, not just the idea that we're being drawn to Abraham, but as I identify with Abraham, part of the great thing of his story is that God is trying to draw Abraham to him. And uh, thus I recognize that then God is trying to draw me to him. Uh, well, uh, wonderful. I, I'll, I'll give you the last word other than, of course, I'll say the little stuff at the end about liking, subscribing, and whatever. But um, but I'll, so I'll, I'll do my little part here and just uh, say... Um, 
I'm I'm touched and edified by what you've taught us. Uh, I and I'm sure we'll have lots of other discussions about Abraham as we go along. He occupies a big space in Genesis, um, and in lots of other in the Book of Abraham, of course, and lots of other places in Scripture. So I'm sure we'll we'll talk about Abraham elsewhere. But uh, Abraham is a real person, and his life is powerful. Uh, and and seeing how he handled his life has made uh, a difference for me in trying to emulate that and, and try to live up to the covenant and handle the difficulties in my life in the same way. That's that's made a big difference for me, and I testify uh, that he is real and uh, that the scriptures about him are real and uh, that the covenant is real. Uh, and so I'd love to just give you a chance to reflect on anything you'd like to. You can you can have the, the last word here, but thank you. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I would just add to what you just said. Um, I'm a believer. I believe Abraham was a real person, that God actually made a covenant with him. And I am absolutely sure that there is no human on earth that is good enough to live the covenant perfectly. And so we need a Savior. And uh, I'm so grateful for Jesus of Nazareth who came to this earth, went to the cross, gave his life so that the full blessings of Abraham could be uh, spread and given to all people everywhere. I testify of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stefan. Uh, so we would encourage you to, to like and subscribe and to share this with your friends. Uh, we want to just uh, kind of spread the word because uh, there is power in the scriptures. And the more we can get people into the scriptures and feeling that power and sensing how real and how it applies to them, the better our world will be and the, the more they will come to Christ, which is the purpose of the scripture. So please share the word with everyone. And, and again, thank you, Stephanie.